want to talk to you today about a series through the book of Isaiah that we are entitling Jesus Saves. Jesus Saves. More specifically, I want to talk to you today about being deaf to discipline. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, help me to speak only what you have for me to speak. Lord, open our ears to hear what you are saying to the churches, what you're saying to our country uh, in this season. Lord, we uh, want to see revival in the Church of America today. God, open, uh, Lord, our hearts to receive all that you have in Jesus' name. Amen. Were you ever disciplined by your parents and at the time you didn't understand? Maybe uh, now as an adult, you can see more clearly. So, you know, you look back and you say, uh, at the time, man, I really didn't know what mom and dad were really saying to me or I didn't get it. Uh, And you could even think, man, I was a jerk of a teenager. What in the world was I thinking? You know, sometimes we're like that with God. We can be unknowingly rebellious and God is that good father. He's trying to get through to us. He's loving, so he disciplines us out of love like that good father. So just like sometimes we don't understand in the moment what is discipline, why is discipline, but maybe later we get it, we don't hear it, but what is God then saying today? Watch the news, you can listen to politicians, read social media, you can hear all sorts of opinions of what life is like how it should be across our nation today. There's a hatred, a political division, rioting, violence, murder in the streets. You have greed, you've got poverty, job loss, economic trouble, sexual immorality. Let's just keep going to the abortion of millions. Where is God? What is he saying? Is he silent? I believe God, and and looking at Scripture, God speaks through nature. National events, natural disasters, but most of all, the way God speaks is through His Word. So what happens when we're deaf to God's discipline? What happens when we don't understand, when we don't hear, when we're not understanding that God is speaking to us in this moment, He's disciplining us? What happens when we're deaf to God's discipline? I believe God has and is speaking through Scripture today, and that's why we're looking in the book of Isaiah. The first word in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, the New American Standard, is listen. Listen. He says, listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. What is God speaking to you? Listen. Listen, there's one thing I want you to get out of today, and that is do not, don't, don't be deaf to discipline. Let's talk about a nation on trial. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1, let me give you the background. Isaiah, his name means Yahweh is salvation. The Lord is salvation. Isaiah is a prophet in the tribe of Judah. He's serving as the royal court histographer. Uh, He's an educated uh, elite of a man. He's called to be a prophet after the death of King Uzziah in about 739 B.C. He prophesies for many decades through 
three more kings, and his writings in the book of Isaiah show a complete shadow of Old Testament and New Testament. What do I mean by that? The chapters 1 through 39 in Isaiah completely parallel the first 39 books of the Bible, which is the Old Testament. In the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, we have him talking about the law and God's judgment and how we have fallen from sin. And then the next 26 chapters of Isaiah, the four, chapter 40 through 66, parallel the 26 books of the New Testament. And as soon as Isaiah gets to chapter 40, he begins to prophesy of a coming Messiah, of the Redeemer and the branch of David. And so just like that, the 39 books of the Old Testament are about the law and sin, and the 26 books of the New Testament are about Jesus and his ministry. So does the book of Isaiah. He is going to lead us in this series, going to lead us through God's judgment on sin into a sinful world, rebellious world. And then as we get through into this, he's going to lead us to the promise of the coming of the Messiah. So let's start at the very beginning. Isaiah 1 verse 2 says this, listen, O heavens and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. We are in the scene right here, and the scene is this. Isaiah has, is about to put the nation of Israel on trial. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom being Israel, the southern kingdom being Judah. He is bringing the charges against God elect. So, so for instance, if you're in a trial, you're going to have the judge, the jury, the witnesses, you're going to have the charges that comes against it. And Isaiah is listing it out now. He calls heaven and earth as a witness. They're taking the witness stand. And he says, here's the charges against you. He's going to give you three charges. They're all going to start with the letter R for us today. And that's number one is rebellion. Number two is relationships. Number three is religion. An author a great commentator on this chapter came up with those. Uh, rebellion, relationship, and religion. And let's l- walk through that as Isaiah lines them out. So he says, even though animals know their masters and obey, he said, God, who is the perfect father, somehow has rebellious children. Maybe today you know parents who raise their children the same way. One went to the right and one went to the left. And here's God, the perfect father, saying, I have perfectly raised my children, yet they have gone astray. Basically, to even say, he says, dogs, your pet, your dogs, your animals obey you better than you obey me. That's some pretty harsh stuff right there. So heaven and earth has come to look and watch, and here's the charge. The first charge, there is rebellion. He says there's been iniquity in the nation. God charges them. He says, uh, it's got nothing to do with me. It's all to do with you. He says, you treat me with contempt and laughter. You've gone so far away that you seem to not even be able to come back on your own. For instance, parents, those of you who have dealt with addiction in your family or in your children, you can just say, if there's someone to come up to you and say, man, you just don't think. Or you ever said that to somebody? You just don't think. And sometimes in addiction, you don't think. You, you, you pawn off grandma's famous jewels of the heirloom or your daddy's or guns. And, and trust me, I know it's been uh, addictions plagued my family uh, growing up. And 
I, I, we just look at family members and think, what are in the world are you thinking? And I've been able to talk to some of those people later on in life, and, and they wake up out of that addiction one day and find victory over it in Jesus, perhaps. And, and they look back and say, I have no idea what I was thinking. All I could think about was that fix, that high, that drug, that sin issue. I've talked to people in the same as those who've been in the area of adultery. And in that moment, it just didn't make sense to them. People were saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? How are you ruining your life? What are you doing with this person? Why are you leaving your family? And in the moment, they wouldn't listen to reason because they were addicted to sin. Sin made them blind. Sin made them ignorant and foolish. And God is saying the same thing. Their mind has been warped by their own addiction to sin. There is rebellion in their heart. There is iniquity in the nation. Is that not the same as we see today all across the world, especially here in the United States of America? It is rebellion, iniquity. People don't want to have anything to do with God. They treat him with contempt. Popular TV shows laugh at him, make fun of him, make fun of Christians. They, I think about the politicians who blatantly say they are called to prayer, but yet they'll go and make laws against God. They'll treat him with contempt. They'll think that he doesn't really exist. They'll use religion to pacify their voters and pacify the nation. It's all religiousness. It's all hypocrisy. It's all nothing because rebellion is in the heart of man. Rebellion is in the nation. Number two, he charges them. He says it was relationships. He says there's been injustice in the city, injustice in the people of God. So his second charge, he says, verse 21, justice and righteousness, their lack of justice and righteousness. They were supposed to be a light to other nations, the showing people God's kingdom works, yet their nation was filled with adultery and prostitution and murder and robbery. It says their leaders were corrupted by bribery. Judges favored the wealthy and no one, verse 23, no one defended the lowly. Is it again that not the exact same thing we see all across the world and especially in America today? A nation filled with adultery, prostitution, murder, and robbery. Bribery at the highest levels. Elected officials following the money rather than following conscience. Paid off at the highest bidder. We have even politicians in America today that exploit a natural disaster to get a pay raise to increase their pockets while the poor man suffers. No one defended the lowly. No one cared. We have people all across that we walk, we walk by homeless people. We look at another group of people different from ourselves, and we think, man, if they would just get off that welfare, if they would just get a job, if they would just do this, if they would just do that, if that man on the street would just stop drinking, and if he'd just get his life together, if he'd just do the programs, people just, we just walk by him. We don't care. We don't serve. It says no one's defending the lowly. Number three is religion. He says there was not only iniquity in the nation, not only injustice in the city, corruption in all levels of society. He says there was insincerity in the temple. There was a falsehood of religion. It's his third charge. He says, despite all of the sin, your ceremonies have continued. 
You've continued to make sacrifices. You keep holding your festivals. You keep thinking everything is okay as if I'm going to spare your nation. Isaiah 1, verse 11, look there. He says, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? Have I not had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of fat of fed cattle? I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. Ultimately, God says, I have had enough. Your religious works are worthless, even an abomination to me. In verse 13, he says, I'm going to no longer listen when you fold your hands in prayer because they're covered in blood. You're no better, ultimately, than Sodom and Gomorrah. You're no better. You're no better. All of your churchiness, all of your religiousness, you can go and act like you want to act on the weekends and you come to church and you think things are okay. You go through all the motions. You sing your three songs. You pay off the preacher to preach a good message. You get to the word. You go to the church that preaches what you want to hear. You pay in your dues and act like that's enough for you. You can still unforgive, have unforgiveness in your heart. You can still hate someone with racism. You can still uh, treat other people with contempt. You can still lie at your job. You can still do all these things and flirt with a coworker. You can do all those things, and you think that's going to save you from judgment. You think that a little bit of church in America, a little bit of church in America is going to save America from judgment? He says, I've had enough with the religion. I've had enough that you keep crying out to me and you go back and do the same thing. I keep coming to you with deliberation. And for instance, look at this. God had been patient. If you go on into verse 7 and verse 9, God had been so patient. He'd been patiently attempting discipline for some time. And through Isaiah, he begins to tell him, he says, guys, I've bruised you. And then I would bandage you. I've wounded you. And then I would heal you. But you keep on going to the point that your heart was growing faint from all of the wounds I gave you, from all the discipline I've been giving you. And yet you continue to press forward. Despite your land being desolate, despite your cities being burned with fire, despite being overthrown by foreigners and losing battles and losing attacks, you continue to act like Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 9. And only a few holy people remain in your midst. It's like when you get to that place, it was strike one, strike two, strike three, you're out. No doubt you hear you do that with your children. Strike one, okay, I'm going to do this. Strike two, okay, now we get to strike three, buddy. It's go time. Even when you perhaps deal with the police, hopefully none of you are you're all law-abiding citizens, but when, when uh, in most cases... You do a little bit above the speed limit, you might get pulled over, you get a warning, and then you get a ticket, and then you get pulled over a few more times, you get a couple more tickets, and to the point where you probably get your license revoked, and if they catch you driving without a license, then it's, oh, I'm sorry, do not collect, go, uh, go directly to jail, right? Uh, there's a process of discipline in law and order, and God's the same way. He said, I've had a process of discipline with you. You should be able to look around your nation today and see that God has been allowing discipline to happen. And I believe it's the same for the United States. You can look at us over the last hundred years and see how God has wooed us back to himself over and over again. I think about 9-11, being in high school and when 9-11 happened and and seeing the, the process of America and how people came back to God and and we could see that some would say, man, God was really trying to get a hold of us. And yet now we, here we are 
almost 20 years later, and we're just going right back, going right back, even worse, further headlong into more sin and more sin and more sin in our nation. We're more corrupted at the top than we've ever been. We're, we're more divided than we ever were at those times. There's more violence and murder publicly in the media. He says, I've been patient, but I'm going to turn my hand against you. He says, you're going to grow weak, and eventually I'm going to have, and Isaiah would prophesy that the Assyrian Empire would come and siege the northern kingdom and destroy them. Those, he says, even those further, he says, but in your heart, for those who ultimately forsake me, you will be crushed and thrown into a never-ending fire. That's verse 31. That's the same for you and for me today. God is wooing us back to himself. He may cause health issues. He may cause financial issues. He may cause economic issues. He may cause a nation to weak and tremble. And he wants to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Come back to me. Come back to me. Are you waking up, church? Do you're coming back to him? Do you see that God is wooing us to himself, that he is using discipline before he has to institute judgment? But he says, if you continue on this path, there is nothing left for this nation. There is nothing left for you but the unquenchable fire that never ends. But, you know, God is such a good God. Such a good God. And look at look what he does here. Look at verse 16 through 18. Just like any good uh, case, you watch Law and Order, you watch Blue Bloods or something, and, and you see sometimes in these cases, you may be charged with, like, second-degree murder, but you could take a plea deal. They'll agree with you. Hey, we'll let you off if you do this. Or, hey, we'll take your charges down if you do this. And God so graciously does this to Israel. Look what he says. Even in judgment, he's like a good father. And he says, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. I've got to, I've got to compromise. It's, it's, it's not going to let you off. But if you will repent, you'll be spared, you'll be saved. In verse uh, 16, he says, wash yourself, make yourself clean, remove the evil deeds that you have from my sight. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless. He's defining the nation that he wanted them to be. He says, defend the orphan, plead for the widow, be a nation of justice. Be a nation of righteousness. Now, again, he's talking to God's people here. And he says, come now and let's reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. They are red like crimson. They'll be like wool. Now, now note this, that scarlet uh, was one of the most severe dyes of the day. If you got scarlet on your shirt, you wouldn't get it off in that time. All right? So it's kind of like spilling wet red wine on a on a shirt, a white shirt or or black magic marker or something, you know, very few things getting to get that out. And, and sometimes things are so stained, you just got to throw it away. He says the same thing. He says, in a normal circumstance, it would be impossible to save you. In a normal circumstance, it would be impossible to save this nation. But Isaiah begins to prophesy in the spirit about a, a coming Messiah, one who would take away the sins of the world. And we'd read that in Isaiah 53, that he would bear the sins, the transgressions of many, and that God would put upon him all the iniquity of us. And so Isaiah says, though your sins would be scarlet, impossible to remove, I can make them white as snow, as if it never even happened. God provided the solution through Jesus Christ for the stain of sin in our hearts. He says, but I need you 
to repent. I need you to wash yourself in the baptism of repentance. Make yourself clean. And how do we do that? There's nothing we can do to change our hearts. There's nothing Israel could do to change it. And they knew that. How can you make one who is addicted wake up to the sin they're in? You can't. They have to want to change. And even in they want to change, sometimes the addiction is so strong, they can't break it on their own. They need someone to help them. They got to want to change, but they need someone to help them. Listen to me. Listen to me. You may want to change in your life, but you need someone to help you. You may want to change in your life, but you need someone to help you. And he, God begins to prophesy, it's going to be Jesus. He's the one that can change the way you feel, that can change the way you think, can change the way you act. You see, you can't come to God again through the fat powers of the flesh. You can't come to God again trying harder and doing it by your own power. You have to come to God and say, God, I know it's impossible for me. God, I know it's impossible for me to change. God, I know it's impossible for me to break the curse of sin on my life. It is an impossible stain. But God, you are the God of the possible. You are the God who makes it white as snow. And here is God at the very last brink, at the moment he's about to bring judgment on a nation, on a people. He says, but what seems to be impossible, I'll make possible. But don't. Be deaf to discipline. What does that mean for you and for I today? God never changes. He's a God who speaks in silence. He's a God who judges even his people. He's a God who despises religious hypocrisy. He's a God who pleads with sinners. He's still a God who works salvation, one author says. And the author of Hebrews said it this way for the church, and this applies for you and for me today. It says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For the Lord, for those the, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He even scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? God may be using things in your life today. You might be awakening to the things happening around our nation, the lawlessness, the threat of war, the health issues, the the economic issues, that God is trying to bring a nation back to himself before he calls her to judgment. It takes no imagination to see God's judgment against America, but let's be very clear here. God's nation is not America. Though America was founded, perhaps you believe, on biblical truths, biblical morals and principles, God has but one nation around the world, and that is the church the nation of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. And these standards are first and foremost for that nation. Isaiah is speaking to God's people in his day. And I believe he's still speaking to God's people, the church today. And my challenge for you as we wrap this up and apply this to our life is not to allow the sins of our nation, the United States of America, to be the sin in our own nation. In our hearts, you see, we're all citizens of the kingdom in our hearts. That's where God resides. That's where our citizenship is in heaven and heaven has come to earth and it resides in you. And I just like Israel had allowed the pagan nations to influence them. I believe that the American church has allowed America to influence her. And there are those same three challenges, rebellion, relationship, religion. Let me ask you these questions. 
as our nation chooses idolatry and wickedness and immorality and murder, as it turns its back on God, what are you filling your hearts with today? Have you filled your heart with sexual immorality, with a hatred for others, with a hardness for repentance? And while our nation stands on independence and says, we'll be not strapped by no man, do we as a nation of God say we obey God's authority? We submit in our hearts to his rule. I, yes, Lord, I surrender to your control. Check out Romans chapter 8 sometime. We fight this battle in our flesh, but it's all about surrendering to Jesus. Man, sir, are you prideful in rebellion? Woman, wife, are you prideful in your heart to stand on your own two feet, to make it through this life on your own, to think your own thoughts, to do your own thing, to make your own path, to fight for your own opinion? Or do we say, God, not my will, but yours. God, I surrender control. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I obey. Jesus, your way. I believe there's much rebellion in our hearts, and we often take the political issues of this day. We bring man's animosity and man's hatred and man's rebellion into our own hearts. The second was like that. Relationships. Relationships. There was broken relationships, and when you have a broken relationship, it's going to sever your relationship with God. Our nation is suffering from corporate greed and politicians who exploit it. But have we, too, opened our hearts to American greed and closed them to compassion and service? Do we think or speak evil of others? Do we look at someone and excuse that broken relationship we have with them? Do we have so much unforgiveness in the church? There are churches in America today where people walk in and say, I'll not sit next to that person. I'll stay on this side of the church. We can't fellowship with those people down the road because they're different from us or they're not like us or we don't agree on everything. We excuse broken relationships in our own in-laws, and yet we call ourselves Christian. We choose not to forgive. We choose to hang on to those hurts. We still fail to stand for justice and mercy. We, we get so wrapped up in a political day and a political date that we forget what life is all about. We forget what justice is all about, and we'll hang up on our political issues, whether we're Democrat or Republican, while people are dying and going to hell, and we're more worried about our political stance and our own equality and our own justification in this nation and our own whiteness or our own blackness, and we forget it's all about souls being saved before God comes and wipes us off the face of the earth. Relationships. Didn't Jesus thus say that if you have something against your brother or your brother against you to leave it at the altar? Don't even come to play church if you're not right with your own family. If you're not right with your brother and sister in Christ, don't come in here and worship. Don't come in here and sing some songs if you know you haven't made it right. And so far as it depends on you, have peace with other people. I can't choose what other people do to have peace with me, but I can choose to have peace in my heart with other people. Whether they have been just or unjust against me, whether I have been oppressed or taken advantage of, whether people like me or don't like me, whether man is for me or against me, I must be in line with God. 
relationships. And lastly is this, religion. You know, you, one author says you can get away from God and keep your religion. Just because our churches are full don't mean we're near to God. Religiosity can't hide our sin, and you can give all the good money towards a building, a program. We can have the best music. We can have the biggest missions projects. We can hire in the best speakers, and it's all going to be worthless if our hearts aren't in it. For God, worship is that repentant heart, a broken and contrite spirit. He doesn't despise. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Our nation once held the largest revivals and mission movement in the world, and today we're yet but a shell. Revivals have moved from America to Latin America to Africa to China to India, and yet if we want to have revival, it's going to begin right here in us in the house of God. But are there meaningless things that we still do? Just go to church. And church, let me tell you, if we haven't learned something about being in a pandemic, being quarantined for 11 weeks, and if we haven't fallen on our faces and cried out to God, we're not waking up to discipline. We're preparing ourselves for judgment. Are we deaf to discipline? Are we hearing God speak? Hebrews ended it that way. He said, all discipline for a moment. Verse 11 is, doesn't seem to be joyful. Maybe you're saying that about this sermon. Not real joyful, Pastor Heath. Instead, it's sorrowful. But the author says, but to those who have been trained by discipline, afterwards it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. You see, sir or man, we can't fix ourselves. We're broken. Our hearts are ruined by sin. But if we will let him, if we'll just surrender today, he'll transform us. If we'll be sorry for our sin, for our churches, he'll forgive us. He'll restore us. And like Isaiah called him, he says, if you'll just reason together with me, if you'll just come to me, though you be as scarlet You'll be white as snow. Christ's redeeming blood still washes us white as snow. Would you pray with me today? Would you accept this call from long ago that God is still calling today? Are you deaf to discipline? Is God calling you? Is he waking you up? Do you see what God's doing in the world today? Do you see what God's doing in your own life today? Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we're coming back to you. Lord, forgive us of our sin. Wash us again, O God. Jesus, we repent.